temps will be cooling down. And before you know it, you'll be turning on your furnace. Before you do, turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services and Carrier. Get an $88 heating system start and check from Griffith to make sure your family stays comfortable all winter long. Griffith specializes in Carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com for this and other exclusive offers. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. You know I'm right. Nick Durst here with Joe Calabrese. And Joe, our guest today, has done everything from reporting to anchoring to show hosting over the past 30 years. And after 30 years of sports broadcasting, 16 of which with ESPN, he's now decided to host a new show. Absolutely. <laughs> he uh, best known him because he was the host of Cold Pizza. And then he was the 11, p- uh, the 11 a.m. anchor. Uh, for Sports Center for the longest time. Uh, he is an Ohio native. He went back home to give back to his community. Uh, currently works as an evening news anchor for WKYC3 in Cleveland. We're really happy to have him on. He's going to be a great guest. Uh, Jay Croft. Jay Crawford, welcome to the show. How you doing? Nick and Joe, good to see you guys. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'd be doing better if it was the Browns and the, and the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, but it is what it is. <laughs> So I have a great tidbit for you. Are you ready awesome. for this? Yes. I'm going to give you three names, and you're okay. going to tell me what they all have in common. Are you ready? Okay, I'll do my best. Jay Crawford. Yep. George Steinbrenner. And you're on the 4th of July. Calabrese. What do they Born all have in common? On the 4th of July. And, yes. you left out, and, and you left out the, the late, great Al Davis. The late, great Al Davis. You're 100% That's right. That's about yep. the Mount Rushmore of people who were born on the 4th of July. That's, <laughs> That's exactly right. Yep. There we go. And it's, it's, a Mount- dubi- it's a dubious group for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think <laughs> LeBron makes the Mount Rushmore of Cleveland people. I think we got Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, definitely the Miz from WWE. We got Jay Crawford. And I got to leave LeBron out. He's from Akron. It's a different, it's a different spot. So, you know, he doesn't claim Cleveland, and, and I'm not sure Cleveland wants to claim him anymore. So, no <laughs> we'll doubt about out. it. Yeah, so, speaking of which, he's in Cleveland tonight. The, uh, the Lakers are playing the Cavs at Chicken Loans. Yep. There you have it. Now, Jay, I heard that in spring training once, you tattooed an 85 mile per hour pitch and hit, it, it hit a home run. And Mark Mulder w- was just so impressed. Adnan Verk could not believe it. And you said, rocks, guys. <laughs> it was only 80 miles per hour. No, it was actually. They're both wrong. It was 90 miles an hour. Oh, wow. Wait, is Mulder there that day? I think he might have been there now that I think about it. Wow. So, Jay, who, who are you hitting off of? <laughs> so, I was, I was at Indian uh, training camp. Now, mind you, I've played my whole life. I still play. Um, and I, we were – there was a rain delay. And so, we were kind of killing time. And – um. Who were we there with? Was um, Tim Kirk. And he knows I play, and he's seen me actually pitch before. He said, Crawford, you think you can jump in there and hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball? And I said, yeah, if you give me three if, – if, if I – if you give me three swings, I'll square one up. So the Indians' uh, spring training coordinator dialed the gun up to 90. And – 
we were standing there and he shot a couple balls out. And now, mind you, this was February. I hadn't played since a tournament in November. It's actually played in Arizona. So I, you know, I, I told Timmy after looking at three or four of them, I wasn't in the batter's box yet. I was, they were, they were dialing in the, they wanted to get the miles per hour right. And they wanted to get, so it was a strike. So I watched three of them come in and Kirkson's like, there's no way you're going to hit that. <laughs> and I said, no, I will. I promise you I will. So the first one I fouled off the second one I hit to the gap the other way. And the third one, I absolutely squared it up and put it into orbit. And Tim was like, I don't believe what I just saw. <laughs> we had a, we had a bet. The bet was, if I didn't square one up and we would decide amongst us, if it was squared up, um, then I would buy the entire crew dinner one night on that. I think we were there for a couple of weeks. I said, I'll, I'll buy a restaurant of your guys choice. You can pick it. Um, if I do, Timmy, you're buying and you're buying for the whole crew and whatever we want. <laughs> and he, he said, after I hit it, he goes, that just cost me a couple hundred dollars but it was worth it. <laughs> and I'm rolling. We had a great time. I love Timmy. I, and you know what? I do remember now, Mark. So were, were they talking about it with Adnan on one of his shows or were they, was it, you, you talked about it I on was, the podcast. I, I was just talking to Adnan uh, before. So yeah. how you're coming on. We've had Adnan on. We've had Kirk on the show. Uh, and I said, we got I Jake, love Jake coming on. And yeah, Kirk came with us twice. He, he was it was great. our first two time guests. He's a very he's good awesome. friend of ours, and he's really helped us along the way. He's absolutely exceptional. Yeah, he he's one of the all-time greats, and I'll tell you, there are so many that I've worked with through the years, but um, Timmy really stands out as he's the guy that is just – he takes his job so seriously. This is a true story I probably told you guys on the podcast. Until just a short time ago, maybe within the last 10 years, Tim had in shoeboxes box scores of every single game played going back to like when he was years old or something insane like that. I said, Tim, there's baseball reference now. You don't need that. You, you, you can look at, but I didn't have it when I was a kid. Okay. So he cut out every box score of every game and he held on to them for years. I don't even know. He may, for all I know, he still has them, but – he, that's how seriously he takes his job. So whenever anybody asks me about Tim, I tell them that story. I say, if you want to know how seriously he takes this, I tell that story and, and they get it. And I don't know of anybody that can speak a bad word about Tim. Uh, you know, everybody loved him. He was just the mayor. He was so fun to have around. Um, I really, I really miss working with him. I was fortunate enough Timmy and I called a little league world series game together. And honestly, of all the things I was able to do in my 16 years at ESPN, that was one of the most fun things I, I had done in the 16 years was sit in the booth with Tim Kirkshin and call a little league world series game because he knows that my love of baseball is equal to his. He also knows that I love little league baseball. Um, I played it. I coached it. I'm still a huge fan of it. People ask me often, do you miss working at ESPN? And I always say, I don't. It's a, it's a meat grinder. And for 16 years, I hosted 
a two-hour daily show, whether it was Cold Pizza, First Take, or Sports Center. And for some of those years, Sports Center was a three-hour daily host. So it's a treadmill that goes at an incredible speed. It never stops. I don't miss the grind of that. I really don't. But I tell everybody I missed working the Little League World Series. Um, I'd done that, I think, probably my last five or six years there. And I just, it was just my favorite two weeks of the year every year. It's, it, I can't explain how much fun I had doing it. Joe, I think the next time Jay's in New York, we got to get him to come play on our men's softball team because we could use a big power yeah, header like, like him. I'm a ringer. I'm a ringer. I'm, I'm, so last year, I'm, I'm playing in – I just moved to the 40 and up. I was playing with the 28 and up until I was probably 45, and then I moved to the 38 and up. My cousin and former high school double play partner, um, he was my high school teammate, my cousin, when I moved to Cleveland, he was playing in the 48 and up. I was playing in the 38 and up my first year here. He was upset. He's like, dude, come up to the 48 and up and we'll win a championship together like we did in Little League. And so I moved up last year. I played with the old guys, as I call them, even though I'm 55. And um, I had hit a home run in three years. So I was beginning to think that I'd probably taken my final grand tour. And um, we were in a really heated game and I, it was 3-0 and <laughs> I never, never take on 3-0. And um, he threw a fastball right down the middle and I was sitting on it. And I caught it just right. And I got it out. And I'm telling you, I probably took 20 seconds to circle the bases because I literally was thinking this might be my last one. I'm going to enjoy this one. <laughs> and I took in the sights of it too. Soak it so in, I'll just be like I'll be your ringer for sure. I will definitely be your ringer on your softball team. <laughs> there we go, Joe. We're all, we're all set now. So, Jay, obviously you grew up playing sports. Sports are a big part of your life. And you go to Bowling Green State University. You study radio, TV, and film. Right. When did you make the decision that you wanted to pursue sports broadcasting as a career? Well, I was, my life goal was to be a major player. And when I realized that that wasn't going to happen, um, I was injured my senior year. I had surgery before it. Um, it cost me about half a senior year. And I realized at that point, I'm probably not going to get a scholarship. Um, and I was efforting to walk on at Bowling Green when I re-injured my knee and needed surgery again. And I knew at that point, you know, it, surgeries then aren't what they are now, just in terms of, you know, being able to bounce back and, and be even better in some cases if you do the rehab right. So I kind of realized, you know, what, that dream is not going to happen. And so my backup plan is always, you know, I want to play for 20 years. And after I retire, I want to be a broadcaster. And so that just kind of kicked that uh, dream into overdrive. And I worked really hard during my years at Bowling Green. I worked a radio show. I did some TV stuff. I did an internship um, at the NBC station in Syracuse between my junior and senior year got a decent demo tape and I was off and running. So I, I, but I was the guy that on the, you know, my freshman year coming back from baseball games on the bus, I was the guy going around interviewing everybody with a fake microphone <laughs> and, and groove groove. Tell me about that two run double in the eighth, you know? So I, th I always knew that I was going to be doing that. Um, and uh, probably I would say the dream really started when I was like 12 or 13 years old, when I used to go to Indians games and I used to see all the TV trucks. And then I would go inside and I would see all the reporters that I'd seen home for years reporting on the games. And I, I thought, God, that'd be what a great job that would be. 
just to cover sports and to be around it your whole life. So that's probably when it really began. You graduated Bowling Green in uh, 1987. And from there, you got your first job, UYMT TV in Hazard, Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, tell us what that process was like. Obviously, you mentioned uh, doing the NBC internship in Syracuse, which is actually uh, really, really strong. So you mentioned that your demo tape. Uh, did you send your demo tape out to other places? And was it Hazard, Kentucky that came calling your way? Uh, so talk to us, talk us through that process. So back then there was no internet, there was no email. You, it, it, you literally um, couldn't just email a link to 50 news directors across the country. Um, so I had to, I bought two 25 count boxes of 3M, three quarter inch tapes. And from my master demo tape reel, I would copy one every other day or every couple of days. I was doing about two or three of those a week until I was doing that all through my senior year. And by the end of it, I had two boxes of 50 demo tapes. I went to the library in Bowling Green. I grabbed a broadcasting magazine yearbook, which printed the phone numbers and addresses of every affiliate station in the country. So I wrote down every station in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, West Virginia. If, this, if your state's border touched Ohio, then I looked at any station in those states. So obviously I didn't send them to Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, two big markets, but you know, Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, they got my tapes. Harrison, they got my tapes. Toledo, Youngstown, Dayton, Lexington, Kentucky. Ha I, I saw a station, Hazard, Kentucky. Is that like Dukes of Hazard? I even <laughs> made a joke at the time with my then girlfriend, now my wife, I said, this is going to be the station that calls me, the Dukes of Hazard. I'm going to be a Duke of Hazard. Well, from those 50 tapes that I sent out, I got about three or four calls. One was Akron, one was Toledo, one was South Bend, Indiana, and one was uh, Hazard, Kentucky. So the, the, the Toledo and Akron stations were for photographers. That wasn't even for um, an on-air position. So I went to Hazard. I interviewed. It was for a news job. I took it. Um, and I was doing news for three weeks and then I, I was moved into sports and I was off and running. That's all I really needed was a chance. And, um, I was horrible to start. I looked like I was 15 years old. I'm not exaggerating. I, I still have my demo tape from Syracuse. And when I look back at it, I'm like, how the hell did I ever get a job? I look like I was in high school, but hazard, uh, came calling. I worked there for three years and I was off and running and it was a great place to start because it was a super small market, even though it was part of the Lexington market. It was a super small area. I started a high school sports show in 1988 called Sports Overtime that over 30 years later is still on the air. It's won countless Emmys. Um, I, for whatever reason, I've always been kind of a launch guy. I launched Sports Overtime there. When I went to Columbus, I, I launched a show with Kirk Herbstreet called Wall to Wall Sports. That show is still going. I launched that in 1994, so that's going on 30 years. Then I went to ESPN and launched Cold Pizza. I launched First Take. Um, you know, it was it's it's. I've always been part of a startup because I, I like that building process, kind of from the ground up. See what you can come up with. So, considering everything that you touched turns to gold, it seems like you got the Midas touch here. 
I wouldn't um, say that. <laughs> so our, our, our Nick and I are we're on our way up. Are we going to ascend now after we have you on here? Off I hope touch. so. I hope so. Whatever karma I have, I will to you over Zoom. Yeah, proper push. So from Hazard, you just do what most people do or at least try to do in, in the news agents news world, and that's jump markets. So yeah. take us through your journey the next 11 years uh, when you get you end up getting uh, ABC Action News at WFTS TV. How did you get yeah, that? What's so, that journey like? Well, from, from Hazard, I went to a Fox affiliate in Connecticut, and I hated it right I knew I wasn't for the Northeast and I wanted to get home desperately. So I was there 15 months when um, the CBS affiliate in Columbus, Channel 10, WBNS, called me and said, hey, we've got a weekend sports anchor job. We think you'd be great for if you'd like to come in an interview. Well, I had just uh, auditioned for ESPN2. They were just launching. So that's when they hired Stu and Susie Colber and um, Bill Pito, right? They hired Bill Pito. Um, Keith Olbermann was in that crew. So um, I don't know which of those I would have been, whether it was probably Bill Pito's gig, but I had gone to interview in Columbus and um, it was my first interview with them. I came home and literally the very next day, I get a call at um, my office in, in Connecticut from. ESPN. And they said, we're launching. We've, we've been watching you on, on Fox weekends and we're looking for young, energetic sports guys for this new thing. We're going to start called ESPN two. And it's going to be a sports highlight show at night. And it's going to be different. You know, you, you wear jean jacket and turtleneck and that, that appealed to me. Um, so went in, I did an audition just as I finished that, Columbus called and said, we're offering you the job. I couldn't accept fast enough. Now, I had a three-year contract in Connecticut, but I figured I'm going to take my chance and ask out of it. The general manager let me out of it. And as I was in the process, I'd already accepted in Columbus. As I was in the process of getting ready to move, ESPN called and offered me the job at ESPN2. And I said, you know what? Wow. I'm, go I'm going home. And I was never a guy that had ESPN. Is like, I've got to work there. I was never that guy. I didn't really, Sports Center didn't do much for me. Um, I never really considered myself a highlight jockey. I love doing interviews. They really didn't do much of that. You know, they had Firestone and later Miller did, did some interview shows, but they kind of were getting off of that track. So I never really had ESPN on my radar. So I went to Columbus and was there five years. And I, was, I wouldn't have changed a thing about that. I was there when Ohio State won a Rose Bowl. As I said, I launched the show with Herb Street, got to work with him for five years and forged a lifelong friendship with Kurt. After my five years there, I thought I'd stay in Columbus forever. I really did. At the same time, I was offered a position in Tampa, Florida as the sports director at ABC station there. Um, Columbus was offering me a sports director position. I was doing weekends, but the Monday and Friday guy was getting ready to play-by-play -play gig in Charlotte. It offered me the Monday through Friday job. But at that point, I, really, I was so intrigued by Tampa because I'd just gone to spring training to cover the Indians and Reds. When I, I was there for a week, driving around the state in a convertible, I was bronze. I loved the, the sunshine. 
get play on baseball all year round too. Yes. Yeah. I, well, when I lived there, I did. And when I get on an airplane and I'm flying home and the pilot says it's 23 degrees in Columbus. So I land, I check my messages on my voicemail when I got back from spring training and there's a message from ABC. I had worked out of their station for a couple of days when I was in Tampa and their news director happened to pop in on my feed back to Columbus and they had an opening. There's this guy had just taken a job in San Francisco. And so he thought, I don't even need to advertise this position. I want that guy. So he called and offered me the position. And even though I had 11 months on my contract, I took it. They said they would wait. Um, oddly enough, their number three guy at the time was Scott Hansen, who is at NFL Network. Right. They said, we can have Bob, who was doing weekends, do Monday through Friday. Scott can do the weekends. They can bridge the gap for the 11 months until you get here. So that's what they did. So I had to finish the 11 months lame duck I, um, contract with Channel 10. And then I went to Tampa, where I was for five years. Before I took the cold pizza position, they had offered me the around the horn job. And wow. Wow. <laughs> to, tell you, to tell you how bad my TV instincts are, they pitched the show idea to me. They said, okay, so you're going to be the host and there's going to be four sports writers from all across the country, but they're going to be with you. There's going to be one in Philadelphia. There's going to be one in Denver. There's going to be one in Dallas. There's going to be one in Boston. And you're going to moderate the conversation and you're going to award points. And it's out of a competition, the winner at the end gets staged to say whatever he wants to say. And I said, that show is terrible. That show will never work. <laughs> They're all in different locations and they're all newspaper guys. Those guys are geeks. They're no on TV. So, <laughs> I turned that down. That was, I think, 1996 or seven. Um, and, you know, a quarter of a century later, that show is still going strong. So they called me a year later um, and their execs were in Tampa to watch the Super Bowl. And they had seen my work and they were reminded of who I was. They said, God, we've offered this guy a job uh, twice. The third time will be the charm. They knew they were launching a morning show in Manhattan. So they called and said, we're going to do this show. It's called Cold Pizza. I said, I hate the name. That's stupid. My kids love it in Florida. At that time, they were in sixth and eighth grades. Thanks, but no thanks. So I, now I, I was talking to them because my contract was up. So when I said no, my general manager said, Thank you for the loyalty. We're going to reward you with a new five-year contract. So I signed. I thought I was going to retire in Tampa. I love Tampa, Florida. So about six months later, they called and they said, we're really having a hard time um, finding our guy. We've got a very specific guy in mind. There's going to be three girls on the show. We want it to kind of be a frat room feel. Um, we like your youthfulness and energy at the time I was young. And um, I said, no, I, you know what? I've signed a five-year contract. Well, as it worked out, the general manager of my station in ABC had formal. Where's my order? Does anyone know how to find my order? How can I find Where my order? order? My Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom, the customer support platform that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically. So customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com slash support to learn more. 
Get running this fall at Dunkin' with $2 medium iced coffees from 2 to 6 p.m. Try any of Dunkin's delicious iced coffee, like their signature original blend. Or treat yourself to mocha, caramel, or the fall favorite, pumpkin. Always freshly brewed, made just the way you like it. Make time for happy hour and enjoy a $2 medium iced coffee from 2 to 6 p.m. Washington, D.C. runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Work as the network sales guy for um, CBS. And there were some people on the ESPN staff that had worked very closely with Sam Stallworth. So they called Sam and said, we know your guy just signed, really want to come up and do this show. And we talked to him. So Sam came down to my office one day and said, hey, listen, ESPN called. They want to talk to you again. I stopped, Sam, I signed. I'm good here. He said, no, I think you need to go. I think you need to go listen. I was stunned. I'm like, wow, okay, Sam. You're my boss trying to get rid of me. So (laughs) um, they flew me and my kids and wife to New York. We went to a Yankees game. We took in a Broadway show. My kids were wide-eyed. They're like, this place is awesome. Dad, we need to come here. So um, I went home. I told Sam, I've had a change of heart. I would like to try this out. I was about three weeks into the gig and I got a, um, an invitation to host something for um, something that John Lynch was doing. So I, I actually flew home and Sam normally were at, was at these kind of events. He wasn't there. So I called his, his wife. I called his home number thinking I'd get him. His wife said, Jay, he's very ill and he's got days to live. He had a brain tumor and he knew at the time that ESPN called about me that he was dying. And he said, Jay, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't let you go chase this opportunity. That's why I didn't fight for you. I knew I, I had, you know, they told him at, at, uh, in September, you probably won't be here by Thanksgiving. Wow. Um, so he was ravaged with this brain tumor and he let me go to ESPN. And um, so it was really a kind of a weird story of how it came to be. I loved Sam. I miss him dearly. He was a terrific man, friend, father, general manager. Just He was just all around great guy. And um, I'm glad the way it worked out. I'm glad that I did take the opportunity. Um, I thought I, when I took it, I thought I'd be there. My ultimate goal from the time I was that little kid outside Municipal State seeing the Cleveland tea trucks, my goal was always, I just want to work in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm, that's all I want to do. I want to cover the sports teams here. I want to live in the community. This is where I'm from. This I don't really want anything. I never, my goal was always Cleveland, Ohio. When I went off to college, my dad said, write down short-term goals, medium-term goals, long-term goals, and keep them in front of you at all times. So small, small my, my term goal was to work at a radio station. My midterm goal was to work at a TV station. And my long-term goal was to work at a TV station in Cleveland, Ohio. So I just thought, well, it'd be easy for me to go from Tampa to Cleveland because Tampa was a bigger market. So I thought Columbus to Cleveland wasn't happening. There was no movement in the Cleveland market. So I thought, I'll try some time in Tampa. There was still no movement in the Cleveland market. So then I thought, well, I'll go to ESPN for a four or five-year contract. Then it'll be super easy to go from ESPN to Cleveland. Well, you get golden handcuffs and you get, you know, you get addicted to the big contracts that they give you. And I just kept saying one more contract, one more contract. And it turned into one more contract and it turned into 16 years. And when they bought me out in 
17, I think. I still had two and a half years left on the deal. I couldn't work for two and a half years while they paid me out. But I knew, okay, this, when this thing runs out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach my long-term goal, which was to work in Cleveland, Ohio. And I couldn't get here fast enough. I actually moved almost immediately. My daughter's wedding was at our home in Avon, Connecticut. Shortly thereafter, I listed my house. We sold it. We built our dream house here in Ohio. I'm in Cleveland and I couldn't be happier. I'm, it took me a really crazy route and a long time to reach my long-term goal, but I made it. And um, I lost my dad in 08. And one of the things I thought about when I was free from ESPN and could go anywhere, I, I thought, I said to my dad, I'm going to make it. I, you know, I told him I'm going to make my long-term goal at one point. And uh, it was good to finally be able to check that box and, and realize that, uh, you know, I could come home and it's great. Wow. That's very powerful. Really great monologue. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. So I'm going to try to do my best to hit on a quick <laughs> points. Sure. Number one, the around the horn gig went to Tony Reale. Staten Island guy. Went to Max no, Kellerman no, first. Went to Max Kellerman. Went to Max Kellerman first. Tony Reale eventually made that show what it was. Um, yes. But it was it was Kellerman first, and then it was reality. It's still on, right? It, it, yes, it is still on. Uh, they're still kicking there. All you Good. can name is Woody Page. He's the who you worked with. He's the only guy that you know on the show still. We we actually uh, we recently had a former panelist on Jay Mariotti, and uh, he was uh, quite the interview. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Jay Jay was uh, he's a very um, he's a raw dude, man. You get you get it straight from Jay. Very outspoken, uh, yeah. really perfect personality, uh, probably a bit misunderstood uh, with everything. And uh, he told us some stories and, and, and some inside information about ESPN. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep that aside here. Uh, but still a lot to unpack here. It seems like that opportunity at ESPN really came to you uh, because of the strong connections that you had made. And this is something that I think a lot of people, especially in this industry, always wrestle and go back and forth with. Uh, you need to make your connections and you need to network in order to have the next opportunity to be able to come for you. Uh, during this period of time, uh, when you were in Tampa, maybe you were at ESPN, uh, did you have an agent at this point in time? Did you have anybody close to you uh, who assisted you in that type of role? Or did you always find yourself you know, always knowing the right person, being in the right place at the right time? Uh, having somebody else open those doors for you. You know, I've, I, and I don't know if it's true now. I don't know what the talent make uh, landscape is in Bristol. Now I know a lot of the people that I've worked with are no longer there. Some are still there. Um, I was at the time they had told me I was the only guy that had, I negotiated my own contract. I was my own agent. Um, my dad told me early in the business, when I started hearing from agents, when I worked in Hartford, I started hearing from a lot of agents because a lot of them live in the Metro New York area and they could see Fox, uh, uh, in, in Hartford, Connecticut's broadcasts. And they saw a young guy that was, you know, moving his way up and they probably thought we can get our, we can get our claws into this guy. And so I would always take their lunches, uh, and dinners. why not free meal? All right. But, and I would pick their brains too, but I, I, um, I told, told my dad, like, well, how does this work? And I said, well, they get, you know, they start at 10%. You know, if you're really good and you, and you can kind of write your own ticket, then you can negotiate that down. And I've been offered to sign with guys anywhere from 3% to 10%. And my dad said, why don't you, instead of paying an agent who's going to have 
20 Jay Crawfords and he's going to advocate for all of them equally. Nobody's going to advocate for Jay Crawford like Jay Crawford. Nobody's going to push you as a product because you've got a wife and two kids that are relying on you to get the best deal for them. So why don't you just pay your 10% to your kid's college fund or to your retirement fund and do that every year and represent yourself? What? You're killing two birds with one stone there. You're working harder than anybody's going to work for you and you're paying yourself. And it was some of the best advice my dad ever gave me. My dad wasn't in the TV business, but he was wildly smart, particularly with financial matters. And so I thought, you know, that's, that's, let's give it a try. So as I started moving my way up, every time I would get phone calls from people, it wouldn't be, hey, are you interested in this job? It would be like, hey, we'd love to talk to you. Who's your representation? And every time I would say, well, I represent myself, they would all say the same thing. Really? Why? And then I would explain it to them. And they're like, well, let, you know, that's great. Then we'll talk to you. We'll deal with you. But I knew that that was almost an invitation for them to, oh, we got a raw one here. We're going to take advantage of them. Well, I made it my business to know my business. I knew what my skill set was worth just because I had educated myself. Every dinner and lunch I had taken with an agent, I was asking from jump, what do the top guys in this industry make? What can somebody fresh into ESPN expect to make? What can they expect to make on their second deal, third deal, fourth deal? So I just kept doing, boom, I'm down everything I can, knowing that this is going to come in handy one day. And I was always, I was always in a lucky position where I didn't, I, when my contracts were coming up, that's when I would start to go to work. Six months out, I would start to make calls on my own behalf, whether it was the NFL network, the golf channel, it didn't matter, MLB network, what's out there. I am, and by the time I was at ESPN, everybody was familiar with who I am and what, what I was able to do. And I didn't really have to push that hard. It was just a matter of getting myself in front of the right person for an interview. So I was always fortunate that every time my deal in this business came up, I had another offer in hand. And that's how you can ratchet your paychecks up. When you have an offer that's bigger than the one you're getting from where you want to be, you just use that offer as leverage. And I was very fortunate, particularly the first time around, because they had come back to me, ESPN, a second time for the same show, which told me they're going to spend more money than they think they're going to spend. Because I knew who they were interviewing. I knew who they had auditioned for the jobs. And... I also heard from people that those auditions went horribly and they just kept coming back to me. So I had that piece of knowledge. And then, you know, the first time my contract came up, I had an offer from another network. And the second time it came up, I had an offer from another network. So instead of taking their base offer, which is never their best, I was able to say, well, I think I'm going to go because I have this. And then I was able to ratchet those numbers up to the point where I think I became expendable at the end because for the first time in their existence since 2016 and on, they're fiscally responsible. They weren't before. Before, they just had endless streams of cash. Those days are long gone, and they, they're not coming back. Um, the, the, the dollar is too fractured in the industry now. So I was there. I always tell everybody, and I tell people that were there during my era, and we all agree, we were there for the best 10 to 15 years of ESPN's history, really from 
early. If you've got a personal auto insurance question, you could talk to a cab driver. Although the policies he recommends might include avoiding the interstate, beating traffic by taking the back roads, and only making left turns when absolutely necessary. Or you could talk to your local Geico agent, whose policy is to use their expertise to navigate your insurance, finding the best route to help you save money on insurance for your home, car, and more. And as an added bonus, you'll be able to avoid traffic jams and potholes entirely. To find a Geico agent near you, visit geico.com slash local. 2000, probably like 2000 to 2015, working there was unlike any other company that you'll ever work for. Money was never an object. They spent it. They, they, you know, they poured it in. There was no competition, like a monopoly. They had a dual screen that didn't seem it was going away anytime soon with their subscribers and their ad base. And all of a sudden the cord cutting started in 2013, 14. And they went from hundred million subs to 88 million subs to 84 million subs. And each sub is each subscriber is $7 a month. So if you have 100 million subscribers at $7 a month, you're making $700 million a month before you ever sell one commercial on any of your eight platforms. So you could see where they were and you can see now how they've, a couple things have gone on. They overpaid for a lot of properties. They overpaid for the NBA. They overpaid wildly for the NFL, for, especially for what they get. And the last 10 years, the, the NFL has given garbage games to ESPN. They have devalued Monday Night Football. All, I mean, it's just stupid. They cut off their nose to spite their face. But in the meantime, ES, they know they've got ESPN over a barrel because ESPN can't afford to not be in the NFL business. They lose all their other NFL programming if they're not a partner. So they, all those NFL shows in the daytime and the weekends and their Sunday prime time, all that goes away. So they have to be in the NFL business. The NFL knows that. So they just gouge them. What they've done to ESPN, they've gutted them like a fish in large part so they can help elevate the NFL network as the primary source of NFL news and information. And at some point soon, ESPN is going to have to make a very critical decision in its existence. Are they going to renew this Monday night football contract for garbage games every year? Who wants to see Phoenix and Atlanta on a Monday night for the billion dollar a year price tag that they're paying for 17 games. It just doesn't. And, and that they get the worst playoff game of the lot and they get 16 Monday night football games. And at some point it becomes a, a, a huge financial burden. So they've got, and now there's other players in the game. There's streaming platforms now. They want to get in on this action. So more bidders mean ultimately higher price tags. So ESPN, in its, for the first time in its history, may get priced out of the NFL game. If Amazon decides to write a bigger check than Disney, they can do it. In, in the old days, there was nobody with deeper pockets than Disney in the game. That's not the case anymore. Well, if, Jay, if YouTube the, wants in, they can do it. The NFL deals are up for the next year or two. So we'll yeah. see. It's going to be a critical time. My guess is Disney shells it out, and in return they get into the Super Bowl rotation for ABC. That would be. I don't know why they're not right now. I mean, they use this nonsense that we don't want the the Super Bowl to be off uh, network TV. Well, they own ABC too. Right. Right. So they they put the wild card game on this year, the simulcast. So. So 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 here's the interesting thing to follow over 
next 12, 12 24 months. Um, if, if Disney could offload ESPN, they're trying to sell them right now. If they could sell ESPN, I think they would do it in a heartbeat. The problem for ESPN or for Disney is they waited seven years too long to sell. You always want to sell high and buy low. Well, ESPN's value today is nowhere near what it once was. And he knows that. And so does every prospective buyer. So if Disney gets the right number and they know what it is in their mind, if they get the right number, they're going to sell. And will it be to Amazon? Will it be, you know, I don't think Bezos has shown um, a, a real interest in being into owning an archaic platform. You don't need a television network anymore to be in the TV business. You don't. Right. Right. And so you, in large part buying a brand, but is that brand still what it once was in seventies and well, not the seventies in the nineties, ESPN was part of the pop culture landscape. It was must see TV who won between Kansas city and, and Minnesota in baseball. I don't know. Turn on the Sunday night sports center, turn on the 11 o'clock sports center. That's how we found out. We don't get information that way anymore. We haven't for two decades. And the more technology that we get, the less we need ESPN. I haven't watched ESPN in years because I don't need to. Mm -hmm. The only time I'll turn it on is if there's a game. If there's a game on that I have to see, I'll watch them. But I learned from hosting these opinion shows and information shows for 16 years, I learned that it, at, at the end of it, it's an invisible ball of string. And here's what I mean by that. We think we're throwing out all this pertinent information that the viewer has to collect and ball up. In reality, I, I knew everything that I was regurgitating before I came into work to see what, what was going to be in our show. And so does the viewer. You have a smartphone, you set up your feeds. I want Browns, Cavs, Indians, and Ohio State news. Anything that moves, I want it to my phone. I get it before ESPN. All right. Uh, highlights of in-progress games. Two run home run puts the Indians up in the second inning. It's moving on my phone on my ML app within minutes. I don't have to, there's no longer that massive time investment for fans that there was when I was 25. So because of that, the value of the network that disseminates that is dramatically less. And so who's going to own ESPN when that contract is signed? I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a big question, but whoever it is, you better tread very carefully because you'll likely overspend to get it. And then are you going to be able to monetize your losses on the backside with those daily half hour shows and your sun previews and your countdowns and all of that? I don't know. All of those shows now are kind of white noise. They really are. I don't, I don't need them. Jay, when you were at ESPN, did you get a free ESPN phone? Remember that when they went into the phone oh, business? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That was a, that was a I think a multi-billion dollar mistake. That might've been the only misstep George Bodenheimer actually had during his time running ESPN, but I did get the phone. Now, looking back on it, when they gave us the phones, they said, um, these devices are going to change the lives of sports fans. And I rolled my eyes and I said, okay, at the time, maybe you had a pager or, you know, you, you had a smart device that, you know, nothing like what we have now, but it might give you scores. This is going to give you highlight clips. And and I look back on it and it did have a very small one and a half by one and a half monitor and grainy video that froze most of the time. But it, the idea of it 
was ahead of its time in, in right. reality. It failed because right. you had to have that phone. Right. And, right. and ESPN- There was no apps yet, but that was the, that was before yeah, the no apps. no apps. And basically it was ESPN deciding our brand is so, we're gonna go take over the phone, the cell phone and the information business. And they weren't built for that. They tried to hire the right people and build the platform out the best they could. It was a valiant effort, but in the end, it was a big billion plus dollar loser. And, you know, if you're a company like Disney, it's like being the Yankees. That's like signing, I'll throw out a reference you guys won't even know, Whitson, and he bombs for the Yankees. Well, $5 million, you know, so we get rid of him and we bring in the next high price free agent. And, and it's, in, in reality, that's what ESPN at least was at the time. They could have a million dollar toast up and still be fine because they had Disney's rich pockets behind them. And at the time, ESPN was the cash cow of Disney. In about a three-year span, ESPN went from being the driving force financially behind Disney to being a strain on them. Think about that. And no one could have predicted that in the middle of the last decade. Nobody could have predicted that. But they were kind of blind to the technology that they tried to bring in a decade earlier. They were, they were blind to how far it had come and where it was gone and where it had gone. And ultimately, as TVs cannibalized newspapers and internet cannibalized newspapers, now internet phones and those kind of devices, they have cannibalized the information business. Um, the smart properties got involved in those platforms. So now they have a strong digital presence, but ESPN might've been a little late to that game. They're one of the leaders clearly now based on brand, but they could have been a little more immersed in it a few years sooner. And they might've been in a position to take on those losses. So I want to talk about your time doing cold pizza. First, obviously, did you ever have to eat cold pizza? And then secondly, yeah. what was it like working with Dana, Skip, and Woody at first, and could you tell that when you're doing that debate segment there, uh, that that was going to ultimately end up becoming its own show? So Dana didn't come on until probably two or three years into the show. When it was Pizza Launch, it was me, a girl named Kit Hoover, who had previously been on MTV's Road Rules, yep. a girl named Thea Andrews, who had a cooking show in Canada, and another girl named Leslie Maxey, who was a Olympic caliber hurdler who went to USC and was trying to break into TV. So that was the original cast. I knew from jump, this show isn't going to work because they were trying to make it about too many other things other than sports. It was pop culture. So we did movies, music, TV, and a little bit of sports sprinkled in. And I, I said from the very beginning, this is going to fail miserably. You've, you're doing a cooking show on the fish channel, you know, <laughs> We know who our demo is. We know what they like. Yes, they do like pop culture. They do like movies and music and TV. We can dabble in that stuff, but that's got to be the dessert. The, the entree needs to be sports. So we need to be 75, 80% sports talk and 20%, hey, did you see the new movie that came out this weekend? And so do a movie segment here and there and a music segment, a new, a new CD drops. You have a band and you do those interviews, but we edit 
we had the cart before the horse. We were doing all the other stuff. And then, oh, by the way, did you see the Yankees? COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership-developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com slash money for college. Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com. His game last night, what, what a great World Series. And so... <laughs> I was pleading from jump, please, 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 guys, let's sports this show up. Mark Shapiro at the time was in charge of the show. He was, I think, number two or three at the network at the time. And he kept promising me, JB Patient, JB Patient, if we change course now, it's going to be us admitting that we made a mistake. We got to just let's ride this out. So it was about a year, I think. They said, okay, might have been nine months. They said, he, Mark Spiro called me at home one night and he said, we just signed Woody Page and Skip Bayless. They're going to be in studio in New York with you every day. You're going to talk sports with them four segments out of the show. We had 10 segments in the show. We're going to, so those four segments are going to be hardcore debate sports segments. Two of the other six, if, if, the, if the events of the day won't, three of the other six will be sports interview segments, recaps with highlights and whatnot. And then the other three will be a little bit of music, a little bit of movies, a little bit of all the other stuff. I was thrilled because I finally had two guys on the show I could talk sports with. I loved Kit and Thea. Their sports knowledge wasn't where it should have been in terms of hosting a daily two-hour network talk show. And I'm not saying anything behind their backs. They would both admit, admit that, admitted it to me many times during the show. So uh, after about a year and a half or maybe two years, um, Kit and Thea left the show and that's when we got Dana. So now with Dana, we got a sports center quality anchor. She was doing a lot of ESPN news, but she had mixed into sports centers here and there, but she clearly sports. She had sports shop. She could sit with me and Skip and Woody and talk, you know, God, they've screwed up the timeouts in the second half and it called them. she could go as deep as we needed to go. And that's when the show took off. But it was those four debate shows because we launched another show during the time at ESPN. And that was the 30-minute spinoff called First 10 that ran in the afternoon. And that was all of our four debate segments from, first, uh, from Cold Pizza plucked out of that show, edited together for a 30-minute live show. We retaped the ins, the outs, and the teases. And we had another 30-minute show. That show took off almost mm -hmm. instantly. Because it was a hardcore sports debate show with good personality and good debate. And so it fit perfectly. It, it launched ESPN's afternoon debate block. You know, that's what got all the other debate shows going um, with, you know, from around the horn and PTI and everything else. But we, we launched, we got that, that block kicked off. And the longer we did cold pizza, we moved cold pizza to, to Bristol after um, when, with high definition coming out, we were in the ground floor of a 40 story hotel, the New Yorker hotel right across from Madison square garden. 
we couldn't expand our studio because we had huge concrete pillars, all four of them in the middle of our studio space. And so they wanted to try to change this studio to a high definition studio, which I, as you guys know, has the letterbox screen instead of the four by three. And we couldn't get any shots because these pillars were in the way. And obviously you can't knock out a pillar that holds up a 40 story hotel. So we had to move back to Bristol because they had just built a brand new digital center and we had a new studio for us to use. So we moved back to Connecticut. When we did, we rebranded the show from cold pizza to first take. That was when they had realized the backbone of cold pizza was the debates, the takes. So it became first take and about three or four years after the move, we had a coordinating producer that took over the show and realized the backbone of this, the, what's driving this two hours are the debate segments. We're just going to make the whole thing two hours of debate. I was never nuts about that. I didn't like that from the very beginning. I loved the formula we had because it was diverse. You might have um, a segment with Eric Mangini and then a segment with, you know, fill in the blank baseball uh, player or personality, or, you know, you would have a, a good meaty sports discussion, not debate. I said, nobody's going to want to sit through two hours of these knuckleheads yelling at each other. But this was right about the time Tim Tebow was a thing and Skip had made him such a thing. And we were doing, of the two-hour show, we were talking about Tim Tebow for an hour. And every time we would talk about him, our ratings would go up. And when we would stop talking about him, our ratings would go down. So we just talked about Tim Tebow ad nauseum. And I finally went to my bosses and I said, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. And that's when I asked to go to the Sports Center division. And so after nine years with cold pizza and first take, I went to sports center and I was there for six years, seven years before I left. So I wanted to ask your opinion on this because you were pretty much one of the driving forces behind one of the earlier morning debate shows that has since branched skip is now with Fox. Um, I mean, you see this uh, with Colin Coward too, but I wanted to ask your opinion because I think you're a good person to ask this. Have we, has there, the, the market for this been oversaturated because we live in a world now with social media, everybody's got a platform now. Uh, it seems like in order for people to increase their profile, uh, they're trying to get as many of the takes, as many of their hot takes out into the world as they possibly can. Obviously the volume thing, the more you get out there and if you're right on a bunch of things, you know, the more people are going to follow you, the more entertaining you are doing it, the more you have an opportunity to carve a personality for yourself, to carve a niche for yourself. Uh, maybe somebody comes calling in the case of, you know, Skip, uh, you know, another company ended up come calling and gave him a lot more money than what he was making. So uh, do you think the market is oversaturated? Have we reached the point now where uh, we've seen so many new shows and so many new personalities uh, kind of grow out of this over the course of the last 10 plus years that we have to contract a little bit, you know, maybe people are making too much money from this. You know, maybe there are too many personalities out there. Uh, not everybody can follow everybody at once. So what do you think about that? Absolutely. Yes. To all of it. So one of the things I'm, I was proud of in the moment, but now I'm, I feel I need a shower. The term embrace debate was mine. It, I, it, it, originated completely spontaneously on the set. I wanted to find a way to sort of brand the beginning of our show. So it was always Skip Bayless to my left, 
Stephen A. Smith to my right. Gentlemen, shake hands. Let's embrace debate. It was just, gener- it just generated itself spontaneously on the set. My boss that I said, the coordinating producer, Jamie Horowitz, the one that decided it was going to be all debate, loved it. So he decided that's going to be our, that's going to be our brand. That's going to be our mantra, embrace debate. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to say it a lot. It's, and it really kind of was the beginning of a movement, unintended as it was on my part. I never embraced debate. That's the irony of all of this. I wasn't embracing it from the first. I liked it sprinkled in, but I knew that it was, I called it the who wants to be a millionaire effect. You guys are too young for this, probably. Oh, but we know, Regis. Who, Come oh, on, of course. Okay. Well, yeah. when it started, the show was on Sunday nights, okay? Once a week. It was appointment viewing. It was huge. It was the show that when you went to work on Monday, every, you could talk everybody to talk about it because everybody saw it. And then they said, well, if it's good on Sunday, it'll be good on Tuesday. And then they said, if it's good on Sunday and it's good on Tuesday, it'll be great on Thursday. And they killed it. Every day of the and week. They, they killed the golden goose. And so you can have too much of a good thing. You can. You really can. Moderating people. And I was preaching it to, to Jamie Horowitz. I said, look, this isn't for me. This is, you're going to drive this format directly into the center of the earth because I'm captive. I have to sit between these guys every day for two hours. My ears hurt. It's hard to watch people get that angry and yell for two hours. And so I honestly think that, and I don't think this is self-serving in any way, but I, I got out of that after nine months of two hours of debate, I got out of it at exactly the right time. Um, now, the executives, uh, you know, I would laugh. You flip through the TV guide on the TV, you see all these shows that were big in the 80s, 90s. You know, MacGyver is on. Roseanne, they brought back. Even when they killed her, now it's still on. And they've got, you know, all these shows. Same with Hollywood. Let's make a sequel. Where are the original thinkers? Where are the good ideas? Where are the new launching pads for new formats? Absolutely. These executives that make all of this money can't come up with anything. So they just take something that's popular and they repeat it. And that's what Fox did with the debate brands. And ESPN said, well, you know what? One debate show's good. We're going to have 12 of them. It's done. It's over. It's tired. That's one reason I don't watch any of the sports networks. And, and the other thing is, I honestly feel that the viewer is smarter now. The viewer knows that I used to be asked all the time. There's no way they can believe that stuff. There's just no way they can believe all that nonsense. It got to the point where everyone was trying to make a name for themselves. And so what happened was everybody was trying to out stupid the other guy. And they would say something thinking they could argue it into existence. And then you'd hear it and you'd be like, wait a minute. Do you realize, Rob Parker, that you just said Tom Brady is the most overrated quarterback ever? I love Rob Parker, but Rob Parker was told by his bosses, you got to stand out. You got to be like Skip and Stephen A. They were getting ready to launch a weekend first take. And they had told Rob, you're likely our guy, but you got to come hot, man. You got to come hot. And based on those conversations, he gave us the RG3 is uh, he's not black enough. He's a cornball brother. And he made a lot of 
comments that would be head hurting and eye popping and hot takes. And he lost his job. So the guy that told him, you got to stand out, man, you got to give us stuff that's different and hot. And I, I felt so sorry for Rob Parker because he's a friend of mine to this day. I just thought that they did him completely wrong because on one hand, they asked him to go on TV and be dumb. That's what they asked him to do. Get, get people's attention. Say things that no one else is willing to say. Well, Bob was roadkill from it and it was unjust. And um, I just, I thought the whole thing was a tragedy for Rob. Um, You got to own everything you say, you got to believe it. And, you know, I think Rob got caught. He told me he got caught up in this idea that he's got to, he's got to generate this buzz. Oh my God. You hear what Parker said today on first take, because that's what Skip was doing. Skip was doing it in a smart and calculated way. And even though, it was crazy on the surface when you listen to his TO isn't worth the trouble or tiger woods is the biggest front runner in the history of sports or T Tebow is the most unconventional, but winning is quarterback. You can find on the surface. Those things are nuts. LeBron James doesn't have clutch gene, but he argues these things so well and so professionally that, and he yells loud enough and he hits the table hard enough. And after a while you start to think, I don't know, maybe he's right. So Skip really mastered the art. He's the godfather of that platform, as far as I'm concerned. A lot of people hate him, but a lot of people love him. LeBron told me when we were talking about Skip, he said, tell him I said hi. I go, really? He goes, yeah, I don't hate Skip. He's my, he's my Howard Cosell, man. He's my Howard Cosell. I'm Muhammad Ali. He's Howard Cosell. And, and so LeBron was mature enough and smart enough to realize that it was Skip running a gig and he was okay with that. But I think a lot of people have figured it out and the gig's kind of up. And so the, 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 the term I hate the most is hot take because I think once that phrase was born, just like embrace debate, that's why I wish I never would have put those two words together. When you hear those words to me, when, when I say, when I see on Twitter, hot take colon, I think I can't get out of here fast enough. Yeah. I, I, I think somebody's about to drop a stupid bomb on yeah. me. And yeah. I don't need that. I, I, I don't need that. And so um, I think the, the format is old and tired. Colin does it as well as anybody on radio. He's so good. Um, Skip, I, even though I haven't seen him in years, um, he's Skip. You know, he's the godfather of, right. of, of debate television. So, um, but I do think, please, please, geniuses at ESPN, Fox, and all you running sports television network, please realize that fans are done with that. The numbers may be there because it's the only thing you're giving us, but please think of something. Give us something new and creative. You're the geniuses. Go in the lab and figure it out. There's got to be something better than what we're doing now. Yeah. Now, Jay, when when you were in New York and you got to find out you're moving to Connecticut, what was your, your family's reaction to that? Or did you live somewhere halfway through? And also, with the show, how hard was it for you between Stephen A. and Skip to get to producer's account at the end of the year? Like, hey, we got to get to commercial. I mean, you have to cut them off sometimes. Yeah. So, first off, I'll go to the... Um, I'll go to the first question about New York. Um, when I moved my kids from Tampa, 
they were in the sixth and the eighth, eighth grade. So I figured six years in New York, my kids will be graduated from high school. I can go to Cleveland. Well, I signed a four-year contract, so that didn't get me there. But after three years, my boss has come to me and said, we're moving the show to Connecticut. I immediately said, you're not with me. I'm not going. Um, I'll get a job in New York. And I had actually, I had an offer um, to, and they were going to leave my contract because they essentially were breaking the contract. They were moving, one year left on my, they were moving the show from Connecticut, uh, from New York to Connecticut. It's a hundred miles from my house to the front door at Bristol. I said, I'm not going to do that. So I had talked to um, CBS in New York and I had an offer and I was ready to take it and I was ready to stay in New York and go to Bristol. And John Skipper um, and I had a conversation. What's the big hurdle? And I said, the big hurdle is my kids now are in the 11th and the ninth grade. My son was uh, a very good athlete and was in a school where he, his his athleticism had already been discovered and, and was appreciated. And I knew he was on his way to a college scholarship somewhere. I didn't want to move him. And, and he had all over at a new school. Didn't want to go through that. So I said, it's family. I, I just can't do this to my family. Uh, I'm going to stay in New York. And he said, what if we were able, what if we handled transportation? So we got you from your house uh, just across the Hudson River to the studio in Bristol every day. No cost to you. We would hire a driver. I said, John, that's a hundred miles each way. That's a thousand miles, <laughs> 10 so hours funny. in a car every, or no, 20 hours in a car every week. It was two hours there and two hours home. And it was a five day a week show. He said, I'll, I will, hire you a driver. And we had a driving service that picked us. I picked me up at my home in New Jersey and brought me into New York every day. Cause it was an early show and I could do research in the backseat. And I had a little Wi-Fi connection on my laptop and I could write scripts and do research and everything. So he said, we'll, we'll pick it up. So for five years, guys, five years, every single day, I drove a hundred miles to work and I would write the show in the backseat do research, conversations with producers and researchers, do the show, get in the car, sleep in the back seat, the two-hour drive home. I did that every day for five years. Were you going in at like six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning? In the we, would, the we, would, we would leave the house around five o'clock in the morning. I'd wow. get there around seven. The show did, started at 10. We were off the air at noon. I'd be back home at two. It was a grueling day. Even though I wasn't driving, I found out that there's something called truck driver's syndrome. It's you're in a vehicle moving for large chunks of your day. It throws off your body. It, it, it throws off everything. It makes you exhausted. Um, and I don't exactly know the science behind it, but I actually had a doctor tell me that's what you're suffering from. And I just always felt tired. I always felt exhausted. It's a of jet lag, right? Maybe not the same concept. It's a similar, it's a similar yeah. concept. It's, a, it's, 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 it's confusing the internal clock in your body. Right. Um, and, and besides, when you're doing a two-hour live show, it's such a grind because, guys, I'm getting up at five in the morning, but there's always a primetime late sports 
event that's big that I know is going to be a big part of the show the next. So I got to stay up late to watch it. Monday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football. I was up until midnight, one o'clock, and I'm waking up three hours later to get in the car to go to. It was brutal. I just wanted to pull the ripcord. I just wanted out of that. Um, so I did that for five years. My son, who I thought was either going to go to college on a baseball or a soccer scholarship, decides his junior year he wants to try indoor track in the winter because he didn't have anything in the winter season. And he was always ridiculously fast and just had really good athleticism. So he joins the indoor track team and, you know, he had never done it before. And by the time he graduated, he broke Carl Lewis's New Jersey records for the long jump. He was a state regional champion in the 100, the 200, the long jump and the high jump. Um, And I knew he was going to be able to get a scholarship to, to, run track wherever he wanted. So at that point, I felt like my job was done. You know, I, I got him, my daughter was going to Columbia, which was a half hour from us. Corey decided that he wanted to compete close to home. Our neighbor at the time was a guy by the name of Tim Pernetti, who ran CBS Rutgers. sports television, Rutgers. He ran CBS sports television for a while. He was with ABC and ESPN before that. Rutgers asked him, he had played football at Rutgers. Rutgers asked him to come be the athletic director. He got them into the Big Ten thanks to his TV contract knowledge um, from his days in sports television. We were very good family friends. They lived right around the corner from us. Tim said, let that kid go to Rutgers. I'm going to take care of him. I'll be his dad on campus. So we felt fine putting him at Rutgers. And then I finally thought I can move now. So we sold our home in New Jersey and um, we bought a home in Avon, Connecticut. And then that made my commute 20 minutes. Um, And, but those, those years were absolutely brutal. I still, when I look, the human spirit's amazing. Whenever you're in something that's really, really overwhelming, the brain has the capacity to push that, feeling that part of it out and only focus on whatever the positive is. And in my case, I just kept telling myself, you know, four and a half more years, four more years, three more years, two more years. I've done it this long. I'm over the hump. And I didn't think about the minutia of the actual commute and how exhausted I was by the end of the week from sleep deprivation and from traveling 20 hours a week in a car. Um, I just, said, I got to get through the next week. You know, my, my, my next vacations in seven weeks, I got to get to that. And so you just have these temporary finish lines. And, and, but when I look back on it now, I just can't believe I did it. I I really can't believe I did it. And when I tell people that story, they, they can't believe that I did it either. It was, it was just incredible that I was able to get through all that. So I want to mention this and and I'll start. I I always mention that Nick uh, graduated St. John's here you know, did communications. I went to Marist College, which is in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, so Hudson Valley. Uh, I have a story just very quickly that I can relate to, and you're the first person who's had a story very like similar to, to mine in that respect. Today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part? There's no annual contract. 
So stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain planner features. See T-Mobile.com. Where I understand the, the, the grind of here. Uh, senior year, I went there. I had an internship with NBC Sports, and I met somebody in 2012 during the Olympics in London, and uh, he works behind the scenes, and he does stuff for rotoworld.com. So he was able to get me an internship that I was very, very fortunate. It actually really helped me uh, in my career over the course of the last couple of years and those connections. But when I was a senior, my second semester, I interned for NBC Sports and I did it for about three months. Uh, and I had no means of transportation. I did not have a vehicle at school. I had to wake up four days a week at 5.30 in the morning. And I took a car ride from my campus to the train station, which was not far, but again, it's just a hassle of getting in there, finding the cab, uh, finding a company that had drivers awake at that time. Uh, I would take Metro North down to oh. Manhattan and I would get off at the 125th Street. Wow. Stop, and I would take a connector train, another Metro North train. Well. To stay, and my commute every day was two hours and 15 minutes. Wow. I realized at the time how insane this was. And yeah, and uh, like people would tell me, this is stupid. This is crazy. You know, why not try to rent a car? Uh, that option wasn't really available to me, but I did that four days a week. And I did that was, on Saturday. Was it a paid internship? At NBC Sports. And on Saturday mornings, I would go there and I would do stuff related to the Premier League at the time. And I would do stuff in the morning when, when Dan Patrick was there. I think he went there. Did they there. pick up your transportation? But yeah, I used to take Metro North and I used to take Metro North down to 125, Metro North to Stanford. Oh, I know that line well. I know and then well. I would take Stanford back to 125. Did they pay you, Joe? Did they pay you to, yeah, for the Joe, commute? I got, you, it was a paid internship, thankfully. And it was. But did, it was they, did, did they pick up your travel expense or no? They did not, but I did so get you paid. Were, well, essentially much of your, much of your pay then was going for your commute costs. Yeah. That's the way well, I looked at it. I looked at you know, it, it was really offsetting and that the experience ultimately would end up being worth it. But I'll tell you, um, when that's what you do when you're chasing a dream, you know, and I'm sure you did it in increments too. I, I just got to get there and I'll think about the commute when I'm done. And then right. I'll think about tomorrow morning when I wake up tomorrow. Because if you think of it globally, I got to do this every day for three months or in my case, every day for five years, it becomes overwhelming. It will tear you down. There, there were times where I literally said, I'm quitting. I'm quitting. I'm calling CBS. I'm seeing if that offer is still on the table. I cannot do this. I cannot. This is, this is not well. It's, it, I'm not well physically. I'm not well mentally. But, you know, it, it's what you do when you're in the moment. And, um, and you know, this, is, this is how I thought about this. When yeah. I started there, it was the end of February. March Madness was right around the corner. NBA playoffs were starting. The NHL playoffs were starting. Obviously, at yeah. the time, sports had the coverage. Now, NBC Sports Network is on its way out. But uh, Kentucky Derby, Preakness, uh, 
Premier League. I used to do Premier League on Saturdays. I didn't work Sundays, but I used to do Premier Leagues. You know, they had big games. Uh, Premier League games were on Saturday. Sure. There was always something to occupy my time there. And you got to work and you got to see clips coming in from the Dan Patrick show, from all the studio shows that they were doing. You would see people around the building. There was a Dunkin' Donuts in the building that I believe is still there. My mind was so preoccupied when I was there that when I was on my commute on the way home, I just kind of figured it was a way to, to, to decompress and relax. And yeah, the hours were, were killer, but uh, I could definitely relate to you there. And I feel like that's the closest story I've ever heard to somebody yeah. who had to experience something similar to what I did. So I just wanted to share it. You know, and, yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Now, Jay, I want to ask you how it was uh, practicing for retirement, getting paid, uh, oh. sitting in purgatory. And then <laughs> how has it been like now? You know, full circle here. The dream came true. Cleveland, this one's for you. Working out, not just doing, not really sports, but doing news as the anchor at WKYC TV3 in Cleveland, uh, Ohio. Honestly, Nick, um, when I started, with, you know, my two and a half years of practice retirement, I thought, this is awesome, man. I, I, the call, it was so funny. I, I wanted this a buyout. I knew, I knew they were coming and I was praying for it. I'm like, this will set free. I can go home to Cleveland now and get paid. I got, I had gone to work in six months and I had a huge raise at my anniversary of my contract. And then I didn't go to work in 18 months and I got another huge raise. <laughs> and I did all my benefits. They were kept putting money into my 401k. I could, they kept my insurances. I got my raises. I got, it was unbelievable to me. There was nothing negative about it. And I thought two and a half years of vacation, this is the greatest thing of all time. And I quickly realized after about three months of playing golf every single day and, you know, taking the trips that I wanted to take, I'm like, there's no way I'll last two and a half years. There's just no way. So it was, uh, the boredom was ridiculous. I had known that I was really tired of the sports gig. At the end of the day, I had realized all this yelling and shouting and predicting, all these experts, they don't know if they knew they'd be in Vegas. They don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody could tell you Saturday with 1,000% certainty that the Bills were going to get blown off the field and Tom Brady was going to his 10th Super Bowl, and you can book that. No one had that take Saturday. But Monday when they came in, I'm sure they all said, I told you that the Bills were overrated. You know, I, I caught on to that game very quickly. And I'm looking at these guys, and I liked all of them. But I'm like, you're not experts. Nobody's an expert. It's like telling me I've got two dice in my hand and I'm going to roll them and you're going to tell me what each one's going to land on. That's just, nobody can do that. And nobody can tell you with 100% certainty what's going to happen in a game, but yet they all tell you with that authority that this is going to happen. And then on Monday, they'll tell you, I told you this was going to happen. But oftentimes the two were separated by a lot of actual facts. So I realized that gig's old, tired, I, I don't think I can do that anymore. And I didn't want to work local sport because I want to go to Cavs games. I want to go to the Brown games. I want to go to the Indian games. If I'm working in sports, I can't go to the games. I'm going, but I'm working them like I have for the last three years. It sucks sitting in a press box at the World Series 
as your team is taking a three, one lead and you got to sit there like you're just as cool as a cucumber. <laughs> no, that's not how it's going to be with me the rest of my days. So um, I knew that um, I, I had to get here and, but at about six months, I was going out of my mind with board and ESPN, I have to say, they were great with letting me do, I, they let me do two projects. They let me do Patriots um, launched a postseason network the year they lost to the Eagles in Minnesota. It was the, 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 the whole week leading up to the Super Bowl. We were broadcasting from the Mall of America. We had this huge space, like 40,000 square foot space, three different studio sets. And we had inside, you know, we were getting interviews with Brady and Belichick and all the stars were coming in. And SPN um, let me do that. Um, the Patriots had asked me if I could. I said, you got to go through ESPN. They gave me permission to do that. They didn't have to. And they also let me do, this was a weird one. Um, it was, I don't know, it was in the summer, I want to say. Um, I get a call on my phone and for some reason it came up ice cube i so, somehow i had, you know i was always a huge ice cube fan my phone and I, I so i at one point i'd met him and i put his number in my phone i didn't even know it was in there we were in disney on on a week's vacation and my phone rang and it said ice cube i'm like what the hell <laughs> why would ice cube be calling me so i answered the phone i'm like cube <laughs> he's like what up crawl and I said, wow, I haven't heard from you in a couple of years. What's up? And he's like, listen, man, you know, I'm doing this big three gig and I need you to come in and host my draft show. And I'm like, the big three has a draft. <laughs> I didn't even know that. And he's like, listen, can you do it? And I said, well, I, two things. Number one, ESPN would have to sign off on it. Where's it going to air? He said, it's going to air on CBS Sports Network. I said, they probably won't let me do it then. And he said, I know some people over there. I can, I can, I can ask. So I said, if they let me do it, I said, when is it? And he said, well, we need you here Friday. And this was like Wednesday. And I, I you know, I was with my family. Um, my kids were, you know, had taken vacations and it all worked out. We're all in Disney. And um, Paid for by Disney. Played for by ESPN, the trip? Of course. Yeah. With the Adnan, cool Adnan said he did the same thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the 40% off the resorts, um, you know, the free passes for the park. Of course, you man. Adam Schefter treatment before Adam Schefter. Yeah, exactly. So um, I said, well, when is this? And he goes, well, he goes, don't laugh, but I need you here Friday. And I'm like, oh, there's just, there's no way. I'm on vacation. There's no way. And he tells me what they're going to pay me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> for, for, for one hour, two hour show? He's like, man, we're desperate. You know, we want you to do this. Um, just say yes. So I said, hold on. So well, I'll never forget. We were, at the, we were at the Canadian Steakhouse in Epcot. And I cover up the phone and I, I'm telling my kid, Corey loves all rap. And I said, he said, dad, is that ice cube? And I go, it is. Um, how would you guys feel if I fly out of here Friday morning? You guys, you know, we had the resort for the week. I said, you guys stay till Sunday, do your gigs, go, go home on stay. I got to fly to Vegas on Friday. Night. I'll be home on Monday. And you know, they were at first, they were like, oh, that kind of sucks. And I told them how much, how much it was going to pay. And they're like, oh, you got to go. Yeah. You got to go do that. <laughs> so 
I said, Cube, if you can work it out, you got me. So uh, he called me two hours later and he said, I just got permission from ESPN. They're going to let you do it. And I said, they know this is running on CBS Network. And he's like, yeah, apparently they don't consider the competition because they're going to let you do it. Oh, and I text my buddies at ESPN. I'm like, thanks, man. You didn't have to do that. Really appreciate it. They were, they were great to me. My entire 16 years, I felt like I was looking for the best employer in the world. They were just great to work for. Um, when my dad died, uh, he, he had a long illness and, and they said, we want you to keep us abreast on how he's doing. When the doctor told me it's going to be any day now, I told my bosses that said, get on a plane right now and go. I flew to Phoenix. My dad lasted three weeks. When he died, I called him that morning and I said, my dad passed last night. Give me another couple of days for the funeral. I'll be back. And, and before I could even say that, my boss said, no, now mom needs you. Take whatever you need. You gave three weeks to your dad. I don't see how you give anything less than three weeks to your mom. Stay there. They knew how close I was with my dad and they knew what my, my mom, my, I'm very close with my parents. Who gives one six weeks off paid? It wasn't vacation time. It was just take it, do it. Um, and they did things like that for me all the time. The, the paying for my commute was not um, an inexpensive proposition. I can tell you that over the five years that I did it, if you figure out what a driver would cost a year to do those kind of miles times five, they spent a boatload of money to keep me on staff while that show was really coming into its own. They didn't want to break up the, the, the continuity of the show. So they were just, they were great. I have, I could never say anything bad about uh, the managers there. Everyone treated me with the most respect and, and uh, it, it was a wonderful place to be. I know that with all these different rounds of layoff, it hasn't been that um, since I left. And um I'm often glad I got out when I did, and I, I feel sorry for those that got left behind because with each wave of weight of layoffs, the the other jobs in the industry are getting gobbled up by these right. other people. And at some point, there's going to be a lot of really talented people that are doing jobs that are probably way below their skill set and pay grade because it's the only thing available. And I've already seen that happen to a number of my former colleagues and friends, and I hate it for them. Um, I really do. I don't really want to work um, much longer. I'm 55. Um, a couple more years and I'm, I'm done. You know, I'll, I, maybe um, this contract and one more with NBC. Um, if I'm not ready at that point, maybe two more. But I'll continue to do projects. I do an, a long form interview show for the Browns. I do um, different projects that come up. Uh, the last couple of years I've done the Browns preseason games on TV, the play-by-play for those. So I'll, I'll pick and choose a few projects a year to keep me busy. But um, the daily grind uh, of a, you know, a long form show uh, I've put in my time and that's a long, you know, to do that for 16 years. I always say they're like dog years. You know, when you do a two hour live show, it's like it takes seven years off your life, man. It's a long grind. Jay, I think we need to see you be doing three on three basketball for the Olympics since you have such experience with the big three. I'm like, I'm kind of like the big three draft guru now, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. um, Mel Kuyper of the big three. That's, that's exactly. I told Cube, I go, dude, I couldn't name three players in your league. 
I, you have a draft? Who are you drafting? And they said, well, you know, our number one pick is going to be this guy played in the NBA. And, and I said, well, send me some information packets, read up on it on the plane ride from Disney to Las Vegas. I got there and I'm like, I'm going to do the best I can, folks, but this is not my specialty. He said, we need your TV expertise. Get us the interviews. Get us to the guests. Know, the, know at least the pertinent players. Know the teams, how they did last year. And, you know, we, we had fun. We had a great show. It was two hours. I'm sure that league's probably gone with the pandemic. I don't think they're still doing it, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and we enjoyed you too. And I know you keep mentioning your age and this and that. Uh, not to, you know, gosh, over, but you look good for your age. You do. So I, very, feel good. Very, I feel good. I feel good. I, 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 um, I, I work out. I'm still, I, I play baseball. Um, I'm, I, every year, first of the year, I rededicate myself for the first game of the year, which will be, you know, early April. Um, my team last year lost in the final game of the championship round. And I haven't, I haven't stopped thinking about it since. And I want to make sure, and this team that, that, that beat us has won like nine state, uh, nine straight championships in a row. Um, they're filled with former uh, professionals and, uh, you know, they're all, it's a very good team, very good players. Um, but I, I'm going to work harder this off season to make sure that we don't lose that last game of the championship series this year. You know, I wish you luck. And, Thank you, uh, guys. Thank you. Wish you the, the best of luck. This was so much Thanks. fun. A ton of great stories. I mean, you, you already told us a, a bunch of really great stories, uh, but we always give the last words here to our guests. Uh, I'm sure there's, I don't, know, I don't know if there's anything else you want to share, promote. You pretty much covered everything, but uh, if there's anything else you have for us, you know, well, please go ahead. The floor is all yours. Thank you again for giving us all your time. This was exceptional. Thank you so much. I'll tell you that, um, so I believe that when, when folks ask, I do these a lot. I do these a lot. I do these for folks I don't know. I do these second times for folks I don't know. Um, I, because I believe that we in the business that have achieved our goals and dreams have an obligation to help people that are desperate to get to where we are or were. And um, that's why I can't say no. I might not always be able to do it the exact time or I might have to postpone, or I might even have to cancel, but um, I'm down in my golf studio at least once a week doing one of these because I, I appreciate the grind that you guys are going through right now. Um, and if I can play a small part in helping somebody get to where I was and where they want to be, I believe that I have that obligation and I believe everybody in my business has the obligation to do that. And what's funny to me, I always hear the same name guys, the same guys believe strongly what I believe the Adnan Verks of the world, the Tim Kirkshans of the world. These guys don't need publicity. They're doing this because they're good guys and they want to help. And I wish there were more of them than there are of the others. Because there are some in my business that quite frankly, I used to be embarrassed to be around in public. I used to be, I used to feel like I needed a shower after I've seen some of my, some of my coworkers, some of the people that were in the business that I'm in, 
and the way they would treat people that just wanted to have a quick sports chat or just wanted to tell them, you know what, I'm a big fan. I watch you all the time. Um, there's, you know, it, it, it can be burdensome at times, but you owe it to, to, you, you owe it to everybody to take that extra time. That's why I love hearing. And I hear the same names from guys all the time because those, and, and, and the names that you mentioned are often, these people were my closest friends and Adnan is one of my dear. I don't know that I had any more respect for anybody in the business than Adnan. The guy is a quadruple threat. He's funny. He's smart. He's good looking. He's talented. He knows everything about every movie ever made. He's the workhorse. Yeah. He is the workhorse and he's funny and he's just, but above all that guys, he's a great family man who wants to help people. And so it, as, as it's just reconfirmation to me that I pick my friends wisely, that I keep thinking that these people are helping a lot of the same people that I'm trying to help where I can. So it's, um, I'm glad that there are guys that take the time to sit down and do your show because they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart, doing it because they feel like, in my case, I had two or three TV godfathers that I would not be where I am without their help. And I can't pay them back. Some of them are retired and out of the business but I can pay it forward. And I've tried to teach my kids to do the same. And I try to set that example every chance I get. So thanks for letting me help you guys in some small way and um, continued success to both of you. I, uh, I hope you, whatever it is, whatever your it is, I hope you get to it. And I have no doubt that you will because you're both smart. You're, uh, you're committed to this craft. And keep plugging away, guys. Keep plugging away. And um, whatever your it is, even if it's not a full-time thing and you want to do this as a hobby and you just want to whatever, um, you know, chase it and, and do it and live it every day. Jay, really appreciate it. And as a Mets fan, I also want to thank you for Francisco Lindor. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing him. Man, you guys, you guys, you talk about <laughs> taking advantage. Oh, oh my God! Hey, listen, I'm a Yankees fan, so let's. Rosario and Jimenez are going to be good, hey, but they won't so be. So here's Lindor the deal: good. when the Yankees get Indians, we got the best years out of them. Okay, right. I mean, right. just go back and look. You can have Klubes. I love them. We got the best years out of Corey Kluber. We got the best years out of CC Sabathia. But thank, thank you, Lindor. For, yeah, thank you us know. for Clint Frazier, though. <laughs> <laughs> but man. The, the Lindor thing is the Indians are waiting the white flag. Man, League Baseball is going to have to step in because their payroll is less as a team right now. They have less money committed on books right now than 29 individual players make next yeah. year. Bryce Harper, Trout, Betts. I mean, there's the 29, of them. There's 29 guys that will make more than the Cleveland Indians next year. Baseball's got to step in. It's going to get ugly. We'll see what happens. Maybe Good we'll luck to the Mets. On at Good some luck to point the talk baseball. But we appreciate Absolutely. it, Jay. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for sir, your advice, your time. I know our listeners are going to enjoy it. So that's going to do it here for this episode of You Know I'm Right. For our very special guest, Jay Crawford, and for my co-host, Joe Calabrese, I'm Nick Durst, and this has been You Know I'm Right. Been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. 
There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. 